0: Thank you, Rob. Great to have Rob leading the meeting for us this morning. Uh, trying to get some new people doing new things, so watch out, it could be you doing something different that you've not done before. Uh, thank you, Rob. It's great to uh, be hearing from, to hear how you've been hearing from God this week and uh, to hear you leading us this morning. We've come to look at a particular passage in God's Word, but I want to look at a few passages today, and I just wonder if you've ever thought that there must be more to life than this. Anybody ever had that thought? You know, maybe Monday morning, you wake up and you think there's got to be more to life than this. No, a few of you have, okay. And you've looked at your life and you've asked, maybe something's not right, maybe there's something missing, maybe you've tried different things, you've tried changing your job or changing your career. You've tried taking up a new hobby, maybe. Maybe you've tried taking up a whole load of new hobbies just to see if one of them can fix this this sense that something's not right. There's got to be more to life than this. Maybe you've engaged more in social media or distanced from social media. You've tried all sorts of different things to think, well, what is it? There's got to be more to life than this. Some people try sports, fitness, diet, watching different stuff on TV, reading different books. All sorts of different things to try and answer this question. What, what is it? There must be more to life than this. I think that there's actually an inbuilt desire in us for more. I think there's an inbuilt desire that isn't always bad for more something. It's an answer to a question. There must be more than this. And I think that's something that's innate within us. And I believe we're made for more. Some of you will recognize this picture or versions of this picture. Uh, this is from, of course, the story Oliver Twist. Uh, Charles Dickens, I think, wrote this as a serialized publication. So you've got a little bit, it's like one of these modern programs that you get where you watch a bit on telly and you think, oh great, I'll watch this series. And you get to the end and it's just another cliffhanger and you've got to wait for the next installment of the series. Well, Dickens, I don't know if he invented this system, but he published this book as a series of short stories that kind of chapter by chapter it came out. Uh, And this tells the story of little Oliver who was... Uh, whose mum died when he was born, and he was born in a workhouse, and his dad's nowhere to be seen. So he's brought up for the first nine years of his life in this workhouse. And uh, at nine, he goes to, to, to be sent to another workhouse where he's kind of with the adults then, or with some older boys, certainly, and doing a different kind of work. And this picture comes, from, of course, from the time when they've all been there about, he's been there about six months, they're working hard, they're hungry, they're not getting enough food. And so they take lots, cast lots almost, to decide who it is that's going to go to the man who's giving out the food to say, please can I have some more of this horrible gruel. And so this line comes, please sir, can I have some more? <laughs> that was exactly the response we wanted, whoever that was, thank you. More? The outrage that somebody should ask for more. And there's this sense in that that you should be grateful for what you're given. How dare you ask for more? How dare you ask for for more? We've given you already. You've had enough. Just imagine at communion. We we take a little bit of bread, don't we? Hang on, Laura. I'll talk to you in a minute. I'm just talking to... If you're listening to this, Laura's just having a chat at the moment. Go on, online. Be with you in a minute. Right. He didn't know that he couldn't ask for more? Yeah, okay. Good point. Thank you, Laura. So Laura's just come up to me, if you're listening online, and said that the boy didn't know that he couldn't ask for more. And uh, there we go. So it's a sensible question. Just imagine that communion, you've taken a little bit. And we're very polite, aren't we, at communion? So we have a loaf of bread, and there's most of a loaf of bread left actually, because we'll take a little bit. Just imagine if you took great chunks and we ran out by the second row. Wouldn't that be fun? We'd have to get some more bread and go down to Tesco's and have another go. And get, 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 we're, we're terribly polite. And there's this sense that we, we've got to be polite and just have a little bit and be very grateful for the little bit of stuff that we've got that God gives us. But I want to tell you that we're made for more. That God's designed us to receive more and to, to want more. And actually, it's okay to want more than you've already had from God. I believe that we're, if we're trying all sorts of different things to find the answer to, there must be more than this. That that's actually because God designed us that way. Jesus had a conversation by a woman with a woman by a well, and uh, they had this conversation as a result of the the act of drawing water. And Jesus says to her, "Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. You'll never be thirsty. You have the water." I give. And this kind of gives us the impression that eking out an existence day by day isn't what Jesus designed us for. It's not what God made us for. Knowing a little bit about God and going to church and saying oh that's it, I've done that religious bit it's not how God made us to be. God made us with an innate hunger for more of Him. An innate desire for more and more and more of Him. That seems to contradict that sense of never thirsting, doesn't it? But Jesus also said this, the the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. So he's given us water which will satisfy our thirst for all sorts of other things and give us a desire for God, but actually it's also meant to, just, it's meant to spring up and well up into eternal life. Because we're made to be with God, our desire won't be satisfied by other things. Getting married won't satisfy That innate desire, there must be more to life than this. Having kids won't satisfy that innate desire, there must be more to life than this. Getting a different job won't satisfy it. Changing career won't satisfy it. Only knowing Jesus will begin to satisfy that innate question. There must be more to life than this. But even then, even then, Jesus says it's not just meant to satisfy you for a bit, it's meant to spring up, well up into eternal life that flows for the blessing of others too. Really, I want to say today that we've received lots from God, but there's more to come. There's more to come from him. We've, we, we mustn't disregard what he's already done, because what he's done is very important, but he wants us to have more. I, don't, I want us today not to be too British, not to be too polite, not to consider it rude to ask for more. As Laura said, the little boy maybe didn't know that he wasn't meant to ask for more. And we've been brought up with that kind of conditioning that we should just be grateful. But I believe that God would encourage us today to press in for more. He's got more for us. But firstly, we need to see what God has already done, what he's already provided. So, a few things that God has already done for us. He's already been generous. He's been generous with creation. It was, I can't see the sky from here because we have rooftops, but it was a gloriously sunny day earlier. We survived the night. The wind and the rain, all bas- I don't know if you were awake long enough to hear it all, but it was pelting down, wasn't it, last night, and I was awake quite late, and uh, the house was getting blown around, and you know, just a bit of a wild night, and then you wake up this morning, and it's just still and calm and glorious, and it's a lovely day, once again. We wake up so often to lovely days, and God has been so good with the creation around us, giving us so many good things. He's been generous with his love, it's the verse we see here on the screen, 1 John 3 verse 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That is a generous word, lavished, isn't it? If you're having a portion of pudding being served and someone said, well, how much would you like? So I'd like a lavish portion, please. There's not really an end to that, is there? That's just a great dollop and another one and a bit more and brings on disapproving gazes from people watching, but a lavish amount of love that God has given to us. He's not been stingy with giving us his love. And this this applies all through this book of the Bible. It's not just at the end when we get to the bit about Jesus that he starts loving us. God has loved us all the way through, from beginning to end. Those Old Testament prophetic books where God is condemning behavior and talking about sin and and talking about judgment, it's because of his love that he's having those tough conversations. In every prophetic book you read of God's love and his mercy and his kindness. There's, a, there's one in the Old Testament called Hosea where, where God is telling the prophet Hosea to speak judgment on the people. But as he's speaking judgment, he's to marry a prostitute and um, be with her and be faithful to her. Even when she is faithless to indicate God's incredible love for his people. His faithless people who keep abandoning him. But he's saying, I'm still loving you. I'm still sticking by you. God has been generous with his love. He's been generous with himself. We've just celebrated communion together. 1 John 3 verse 16 says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He gave everything he had without holding back. Made it possible for us to have a new life. He's been generous with grace. You know, God doesn't wait until we get it all sorted to start welcoming us into his kingdom. So many people hold off and they say, well, when I've, when I've got my life sorted, when I've made all those, that series of decisions, then at that point I'll have just about got it right enough to go to God and say, God, here I am, I'm ready now. I'm ready to follow you. When I've had my career, when I've had my family, when I've done all sorts of things, then I'll be ready. When I've, when I've gone on my adventures and explored around, then I'll be ready to, to see God and Uh, and know him, and and God doesn't want that. He wants us to know him now, to to experience his fullness now and the the satisfaction that only he can give now. He doesn't wait for us either to get it all sorted and to be right and pure. He calls us to come into his presence now, into his family. That's what this verse in 2 Corinthians says, therefore if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new's here, and all this is from God without waiting for us to get it right. And finally, on this part of what God has already given, he's been generous with gifts. So we've seen that he's been generous with creation, with love, with himself, with grace, and with gifts. On top of all of this that he's given, he gives us the Holy Spirit to be with us forever and to give us spiritual gifting to build the church and to bless one another. God takes the lonely and broken and makes them strong and whole and puts them in families. And the Bible says this. Jesus says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and to all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's given life. He's given life in all its abundance. And yet, if we were to sit and be really, really honest today together, many of us who are Christians would acknowledge this. And we'd say, yeah, he's given me all this stuff and yet... And yet it just seems sometimes that I feel a bit like this. Even with all of that, I know it's true. I know that Jesus died for me. I know that he paid the price for me. I know that I'm part of his kingdom. But there's still something at times when I feel empty. What do we do with that? Do we pretend that it's not there? Is it because we're just ungrateful? Is it just because we're ungrateful and we're, we're, we should be just glad with what we've got? No, I believe it's because God is calling us still into himself, and he's still calling us into his presence. Jesus said in those verses I showed you from John's Gospel with the woman at the well, uh, where he's, he's given us water that, which makes us never thirst again, but at the same time, that water is meant to spring up and become a spring of living water and eternal, to eternal life. And we're meant to have a stream of water flowing from us, something that's alive and vibrant. I don't think Jesus gives us just a tiny bit just to wet our lips and then we're satisfied. I think he wants to give to us such a deposit of of himself and such goodness from God that it wells up again and again and it's something that constantly is springing up into eternal life. If you've once tasted of the things of God and you're not satisfied, I would encourage you to drink again, to drink again to drink again, to press into God and take hold of that for which Christ took hold of you. I want to see now that God is able to do more. And to to help us with this this section, I want to talk about a prayer that Paul prayed, that God is able to do so much more. Uh, And there's a great prayer in Ephesians. And it goes like this. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him, I haven't finished yet. Now to him, who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And everybody said? Amen. That was the cue. God is able to do more. He's able to do more. He's able to give us more of Christ through the Spirit's power. The Bible teaches that as Christians, as those who follow Jesus, if you've given your life to Jesus in the sense that you've repented of your old way of life, you've turned around, you say, God, I want to follow you. The Bible tells us that Christ dwells within us. That's a fact. The Holy Spirit's living within us, and because the Holy Spirit's living within us, God himself is li- living within us, and yet this prayer, sent, prayed by Paul for a group of Christians, prays this, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. But he already does, you say. Yes, he does. But Paul is praying that Christ may dwell more abundantly, more amazingly, more deeply, more richly, more fully than he already does. There's this sense that we already have for which we are incredibly grateful, but yet we press on to that which God has still, still wants to do in us. There, there's two words here that Paul could have used for dwelling, one of which implies temporary residence and one of which is permanent. Uh, and you might be Pleased to know that Paul uses the permanent one. Jesus doesn't come and live in us as a lodger. He comes to take his place, to make his home, to live with us. He's not just in and out again, but he stays and remains. Paul's praying for more of God's lordship, more of his light, more of his rule. Secondly, Paul prays, we see this bit here, that we may know God's love that cannot be known. Don't you like prayers like this? The impossible kind of prayers? Paul prays that we might know God's love that cannot be known. So he says there, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now if you can explain the last bit to me please go ahead. How is it possible to know uh, love that surpasses knowledge? By its very definition that's Impossible. Unless Paul's talking about the kind of knowledge which is an intimate knowledge, where he's saying I want you to experience, to, to, um, um, to take on board, to, yeah, to take into yourself this love and to begin to experience this love that surpasses knowledge. To begin to know and to keep on growing in that knowledge, to keep on moving ahead in that knowledge that you'll never run out of, that you'll never get to the end of, but keep on going. Because you'll, you'll never run out. And you can't run out of God's love. Some people have looked at this, um, this description of God's love, and they've also looked at the cross. And they've noticed that the cross is wide and long and high and deep. And they said, maybe that's what Paul's talking about here. It's nice, isn't it? It'd be neat, wouldn't it? Because it points to the cross. Certainly the cross of Christ displays God's love to us. But I don't know but certainly paul is just saying it's it's inexhaustible it's unfailable it never runs out and i think many of us me included will have experienced times when we know we've made mistakes and not just mistakes intentionally set out to sin we've intentionally set out and gone against what god's wanted and God has called us back to himself, and we've gone back, and we said, God, I'm, I'm sorry. Ah, oh, forgive me. What does God do at that moment? He forgives. He picks us up, he dusts us off, and he forgives us and washes us clean. Because of his love, and his grace, and his compassion, and his holiness, all of them working together. And Paul is praying here that we may know the full, or that the Ephesians may know the full extent of that love. Why is that so important? Because we're shaped by our knowledge of God's love. If you know that somebody loves you, it gives you an incredible confidence to when you're around them. You're not trying to impress them. You just know that they love you. You're secure in that love. And if we know that God loves us, we're not trying to make sure and check in all the time. Are you still okay with me, God? Are you still all right? Are we still good? Because actually you know that God loves you and you've got an incredible assurance there and that gives you confidence to live for him day by day by day. Thirdly, Paul goes on to pray that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Fullness is a recurring theme in this book. Filled with Christ and yet we need to keep being filled. Doesn't that sound like a great prayer? You may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Anybody got there yet? Anybody filled to the measure of the fullness of God? Just got God filling you completely? No, I don't think so, which is why we have confidence in what God has done, and yet we long for the more in God. And I just want to probably get to the most important part of this middle piece here about what God can do. Because I want to encourage you that God is able to do all those things. God is able to do. He's able to provide them more. He's able to satisfy you when you're longing for him. He's able to do what nobody else can. God is able. The past doesn't limit God. He's able to do a new thing. Your past doesn't limit God. He's able to do a new thing. He's able to work in a new way. What God has done in the past doesn't limit him either. You know there are I think God wants to do something new amongst us. And I enjoy interpreting the Bible. I enjoy reading the Bible. I enjoy learning from it. But this is, the stories that happen here are meant to spur us into faith and trust in God. They don't constrain God. Let me give you an example. The miracles of Jesus hadn't happened before he did them. As far as we know, nobody had walked on water until Jesus did. Is that fair? But Jesus did it. Does that mean Jesus can only walk on water now and he can't do anything else new that he's never done before? No, Jesus can carry on doing new things that he's never done before. Why? Because he's God. Because what he's done in the past doesn't constrain him and place limits around him as if to say, you can't break outside of this. God can do something new. He's able to do something more. He's able to do something beyond what we can imagine because he's God. He won't ever contradict his word, he won't ever change character. He will still be who he's presented as being in, this, in his word because it's reliable and true, but God is able to do new things amongst us. Your past experience of God does not limit his future activity. Don't say, this is how God works with me. God's able to be God and do something different tomorrow. Now just look at this, this word here with me. Immeasurably, we're going to look at that word. So we just go back. He, he now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. We're going to have a quick look at what that word means. Now, Paul. Now, if you're if you find words funny, here we go. This is this is the Greek, okay? Hyperpanta. Now, it doesn't mean big pants. It means above all. Panta is the Greek for all, okay? And huper or hyper is the is the word for above. So that's all it means. You're going to get a lot of pants in this. If you're worried about, if you find that amusing, then you're stuck. So Paul could have said, to him who's able to do above all, which would be hyperpanter, he could have said he's able to do abundantly above all, which would be perissu hyperpanter. He could have said, now to him who's able to do more abundantly above all, which would be ek perisu hyperpanter. He actually says, to him who's able to do immeasurably more, which is, as you can see on this screen here, above, from the top, above more abundantly above all. That's quite a lot of stuff God's able to do. He's able to do beyond whatever you can think. That's, uh, Paul's making up words because he can't quite express how much God can do. He doesn't just say he can do a bit more, but he takes it above and beyond and keeps adding on to this phrase. God's able to do so much. There's a boy who comes to Jesus, or who's picked out of a crowd and he's got five loaves and two fish. And Jesus feeds 5,000. And there's 12 baskets left over. I love the 12 baskets being left over. When Jesus is asked to turn water into wine or asked to fix a problem at a wedding, he, he makes the best wine, better than they needed. I love the fact that God can do more than we need. He can do more than we can ask or imagine. Laura, thank you for saying that the little boy didn't know that he wasn't allowed to ask for more. Because I think it's a shame that our imagination declines with age. We place limits around our imagination. We place boundaries around it. And this verse tells us that we can do, God can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. If you talk to a child, their imagination is amazing. It's fantastical. So much so that you struggle to keep up with it at times, don't you? Because they're just imagining all sorts of stuff. That's really exciting. And you try and follow along the conversation to get some meaning and sense out of it that our adult brains can, can cope with because they're just creating scenes in their heads and they know what they're talking about. But God can do more than that. However audacious your plans are, God has bigger plans. Finally, thirdly, I want to see that God wants to do more among us. Not just that God can, not just that God has already been generous, but finally to see this, that God actually wants to do more among us. I believe that God is pleased with boldness more than he is with politeness. God's more pleased with boldness than he is with politeness. Jesus tells a story in Luke's Gospel and it's chapter 11. And the story goes that you he says suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say friend lend me three loaves of bread a friend of mine has come to me and I have no food to offer him and the one inside answers don't bother me the door's already locked and my children are in bed I can't get up and give you anything okay that's the the scene we're setting there Jesus is telling a story and saying "You've, you've got a mate come round you need some food to feed him so you go to somebody else and say I need some bread please lend me some bread and the guy's asleep Jesus goes on to say this. He says, I tell you, even though he'll not get up and give you the bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. It's on the screen for you. Even though he'll, he'll not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity. Isn't that a great phrase? Your shameless audacity. I'm reading from the NIV. If, you've, if it's not in yours, that's because this is a, 2011, uh, slight update of it. It's a great way of expressing the term that's actually used in in the original there, the shameless audacity that we can approach a friend to ask him, and that's what motivates the friend to give us what we need. I tell you, God is looking for shameless audacity. People who are not ashamed to go to him and say, God, I need you. God, I need more of you. God, I'm desperate for you. God, I'm hungry for you. God, I want what you have for me. The very next verse, Jesus says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. The illustration Jesus has given isn't to show that God's in bed asleep and doesn't want to give us bread. That's not the point. The point is this, that if we're persistent and if we go and we dare to ask, we will receive. God's looking for people who are bold. Secondly, we also see that God wants to do more amongst us because there's further to go than we've been so far. The Spirit has more to give us than we've already seen. Uh, I don't know if we've got time to, to read the story, but when the Israelites are leaving Egypt, they get to a particular place and there's no water. And this is um, the bit before this passage in Exodus 14. They get to a place where there's no water and so there's a crisis, they're there three days, they're thirsty, they're, they're dying effectively and God provides some water for them in a miraculous way. And and then the very next story, the next part of the story says this, then they came to Elim where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees and they camped there near the water. And this place sounds beautiful. After three days without water and God providing water, then they move on as the Spirit leads them and they're into this place where there's palm trees. And you think, oh, that must be lovely. Wouldn't that be gorgeous just having had all that strife and struggle? And you know, I just want to stay by the palm trees, to be honest, because I like the sound of that. You've got shelter from the sun, you've got water, you've got everything you need, and it just sounds gorgeous. But you know, the next verse says this, the whole Israelite community set out from Elim. They arrive at Elim, there's palm trees, there's water, and the very next verse, they're setting out again to go on their way. Why? Because their location isn't their destination. The location we find them in in this story isn't where they're meant to stay. It's not where they're meant to live. They're just passing through. And the things that God has done in us so far are important. Some of them are the bedrock of what God wants to do. But we're passing through and God still wants to do more in our lives. There's more that he wants to do. We're not there yet. There's further to go than we've already been. There's also further, there's more that God wants to do than we've already seen. There's more that God wants to do than we've seen. Jesus arrives in his hometown, and it said, this is of Jesus who's raising the dead and, and healing us sick and doing all sorts of amazing things, that he couldn't do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. You know, when Jesus got to that village, that town, there was more he wanted to do than the people wanted him to do. So they never saw the miracles God wanted to provide because they didn't want to see them. They weren't ready. God actually wanted to do more. Jesus had gone to do more miracles and and he couldn't. He could not do any miracles there because of their lack of faith. I think there's more that God wants to do than we've already seen. And finally on this one which is my last bit. God wants us to enjoy what we have and be hungry for more. You might be asking the question, well, what's the matter with where we are right now? If God's given us all this stuff, if I've got Jesus living in me through the Holy Spirit, if, I'm, if I've got God with me, can't I just be glad for that and just be grateful? Yes, of course you can. We're meant to be grateful for what God's given, but I believe that God's calling us on to more, and I want to illustrate this from Paul himself. Paul writes this, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learnt the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul's saying, I've learned to be content. You see, today we're not talking about stuff. I'm not talking about God giving you more stuff having more money, a bigger house, all that sort of stuff. We're not talking about that. We're talking about desiring God and what His planned for our lives. Paul's saying, I've learned to be content. I don't need anything else other than what God's given me. Let me take you back a chapter. Whoops. This is what Paul writes a chapter earlier about some blessings God has for him. Not that I have already obtained all this, nor that I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Does that sound like a man who's just sitting there going, oh, I'm just content with what I've got. I don't need to move at all. Thank you, Lord. You've done everything you're going to do. Let's just stay here. Let's camp by Elim got the palm trees, got the water? He doesn't, does it? This is a man who's saying, it doesn't matter what my circumstances are, God, my provider, has given me everything I need. I'm content with everything I've got. I don't need more food, I don't need more money, I don't need anything else. God has provided what I need. But when it goes on to the calling that God's given, to the, the call of God to know more of God, to be made more like him, Paul's saying, I'm hungry for that. I'm moving towards it. I'm striving. I'm not staying in the same place. Why? Because God has more for me than I've already seen. And it may be that you're camped in Elim today. And you're wondering why the water's gone a bit stagnant. And you're wondering why it felt good years ago, but it doesn't feel good anymore. That's because we're not meant to stay in one place. Just saying, God, thank you very much. You blessed me once. Thank you, Lord. You filled me with the Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for those good experiences I had three decades ago or three weeks ago. We're designed to long for more of God and to see more of God at work in our lives. So, some homework for us. Number one, ask God what the more is for you. Ask God what he wants to show you. So God, what is it? What is there in you that I still haven't seen? What do you want to show me? Number two, thank God for what he's already given. Let's be thankful for God's generosity. He's given to us so much, hasn't he? And we need to be thankful and say, God, thank you, thank you. You see, sometimes it's, we lose sight of what God wants to do because we've lost sight of what he's done. And the two have to link together. We're not in a place of lack. We're not in a place of of having nothing from God. We've received richly, but there's still more. So number one, ask God. Number two, be thankful. Number three, remind yourself, remind ourselves that God is already able to do more abundantly than we can ask or think or imagine. I wonder if we can pray that that we might be thankful and hungry because there is more. Can we have the band up on the stage, please? Thank you. I think we're going to sing a song in a moment, which is uh, there must be more than this, consuming fire. Fan into flame. But I don't want us to pray. We're going to use the words of the song to help us, in a sense, sing a prayer. I don't want us to pray before we do that. Because I believe that God has more for us individually, more for us as a church, more for this town than we've seen. And that isn't to disregard the past. It's to say, thank you, Lord, for what you have done. But don't leave us there. Because we want more of you. Father, we thank you for your work in the past. We thank you for the, your work in our past. We thank you, Lord God, that you have called us to yourself. You've saved us. You've rescued us. We are yours. And we say thank you for what you've given. But Lord, we recognize as well that we're not designed just to stay sitting, remembering the water you once gave. But Lord, we long to see the streams of living water flowing from us that's meant to well up from us and Lord I pray over this next week as we seek you that you'd show us what there is in you that's more that we haven't yet seen that you begin to to awaken us to open our eyes to see what there is that we've missed so far or that's next for us Lord I pray you'd help us be thankful for what you've done in the past and I pray Lord you'd help us remind ourselves that you are able God we demolish any fear or any doubt or anything that would set itself up and say God cannot do this anymore. He's finished. He's he's through. He's done. Lord, I thank you that you are not finished or through or done. Thank you, Lord, that there is still more for us. Thank you, Lord, that we can be satisfied with what you've given and still long for more of you. And we pray, Lord, that if we have become settled and satisfied that you would Stir our hearts again. That you'd help us stir our hearts again. That you'd remind us not to just say sitting, but to look to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.